Hey everybody, this is Adam. And this is Atkins. And we're bringing you another episode of the Almighty Podcast, produced by the Back Patio Network. What episodes are we covering of My Hero Academia this week, Adkins? You don't know? I don't. I, I kind of showed up with no notes. Uh, I didn't even <laughs> watch the episodes, actually. I'm hoping you'll tell me what happens. We're covering episode 107, Curse of the Blood Rubies. What? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> we're starting to get me to, real mixed up now. Yeah, cross our podcast streams a little bit. <laughs> no, we're covering <laughs> episode 107 and 108. 107 is more of a hero than anyone, and 108 is called My Villain Academia. Man, My Villain Academia, that has a ring to it. Like, I. I almost just want a whole show of it, you know? It does. And, you know, the folks in the Discord have really been talking this particular segment of the manga slash anime up quite a bit. So I was excited to see us finally arrive at it. They even had this idea. um, We've talked before in previous episodes, recent uh, episodes of the AMP, about how they have made us aware that the anime is presenting stuff in a vastly different order than the manga has. And so they gave us the idea that maybe at the end of this season, we take an episode of the AMP uh, and come back after having read the manga in its in its presented order and do some comparing and contrasting. And I think that's a great idea. I do too. I'm actually really excited about that because I've not read the manga really at all. Like, to be honest with you, I think I've maybe read two or three chapters. Since Vigilantes died off, I haven't even launched Shonen Jump. Uh, Shonen Jump. Like, I, for the most part, I occasionally read like a DBZ uh, issue. Are they called issues? Chapters. Chapters? I think is is the traditional um, yeah. terminology too, there. Too stuck in the comic book world, uh, but I think that would be a great idea. Like it seems like a really good jumping on point for me instead of having to try and read and catch all the way back up. I I had started to do that, but then quickly fell off. So <laughs> it would be a fun exercise for sure. Yeah, and I read the manga alongside the anime just so we can point out some any kind of differences that are noteworthy. Um, speaking of the manga chapters, episode one hundred and seven is covered in chapters two fifty three through 255 of the manga and episode 108 takes us backwards to chapters 220 through 224 and there are some like weird page things so like in chapter 220 you're really only reading page 8 and then skipping ahead to 12 through 15 and then in 224 you're stopping at page 6 if you're trying to avoid all other things and only read what is presented in the anime that's that's how it shakes out Oh, wow. So there's some extra tidbits in there that you'll get if you read the whole uh, volume then, huh? I think so. Or it might be some of that stuff in between. Some of those pages might have been stuff that was covered previously that we kind of remember, like when we first started some of the stuff, we were hop, skipping and jumping around all over the place. Um, Thanks to Ohm and Queen Jess is kind of keeping us on track with only what the anime is presenting at the time that we're watching it uh, to keep us from either wasting time or being spoiled. Both of those things probably. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, why don't you say we go ahead and just jump right into episode 107. I won't do it. Which is named... You won't do it? I'll do it then. (laughs) (laughs) It is named More of a Hero Than Anyone, which... Did they change the name for this episode? Because I feel like I remember editing our most recent AMP episode or or listening to it, and you saying that it was named something like The Tragic Truth or something along the lines of that, which is what keyed you off to the fact that you're right about Shirakumo, which I still can't believe, like, totally blew my mind. No, uh, the Tragic Truth wasn't the name of the episode. It was just that f- that phrase was what kind of, I was like, huh, now what Tragic Truth would directly involve present gotcha. Mike and Aizawa? And that's kind of how I made hop, skips, and jumps and got to the Shirakumo reveal, which you thought was the most 
outrageous theory, Mr. Evil Nezu over here thought that that was bonkers. Um, <laughs> well, okay, hold on. Let me explain just a little bit further. So, and, and this is getting, you know what? Let's just hold off until we explain a little bit more about Shirakumo and the Nomu that he has become, because then I can, I can give you my full breakdown on how I feel about it okay. uh, and why I think it's so, such a bonkers thing to even begin to think. Sure, sure. Well, lucky for you, it happens in this episode in 107, but we don't start there. We don't start there, no. We start off, uh, basically all of the kids are back at school, it's the new year, Deku's talking about how time flies, which it does. Like, we blinked, and here we are three years later, and almost 100 episodes into our podcast. Three semesters, so, not net, not years. No, but you and I are three years into our podcast. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, I misunderstood. Yeah, and we've blinked. It was a joke. It wasn't a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so they're, they've only been back for three months now. It's the beginning of the year. And uh, Ida is like all jazzed up. He's at the head of the class telling everybody like, hey, you guys need to suit up. We're going to go over to Ground Alpha. We're going to get in some good training today. And uh, everyone's like, wow, Ida, you're on point. And Aizawa shows up and the kids are already like got their costumes ready to go. Costumes, their, their hero outfits. And they're ready to, to go to Ground Alpha. And uh, Aizawa actually gets called away uh, over the intercom. Yeah, there is some like weird Ida dancing that happens here. <laughs> I was gonna say I have in my notes that Ida's hips don't lie. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I like that. you just start well, shaking. Was, someone was I don't even remember exactly why, but they're like you know talking about him being a bike, and they're like, oh no, he would be a motorcycle because he has engines. That's right. And I thought that was kind of funny. Um, but then we, yeah. we transition over to the girls' locker room for a quick scene where they're all getting ready. They're all dressing out. Ajako is talking about how her new equipment works in line with her quirk. And as someone is handing her, like, I guess, gauntlet to her, yes. there is a little All Might doll that falls out. And it's the All Might doll she got from Deku, Secret Santa, present. And she's immediately embarrassed and, like, runs, dashes, and swoops it up it's it's a pretty cool little scene but mina has already kind of put two and two together and she's like oh this is about deku right and she doesn't say that but achako is very much so adamant that it is not like that at all i'm not sure if i believe her though yeah so um just to clarify the girls are already in a state of dress because it isn't that kind of anime um right so they're, they're I mean, already clothed <laughs> Mineta did not write this episode. That's right. Uh, they are clothed. They, there was no nudity. In fact, this wasn't even like a gross scene. They just happened to be in the locker room. Right, right. And Ochako's being praised for her new costume. Jiro picks up the gauntlet, but it's not from the gauntlet that the Azawa do- or that the uh, All Might doll falls out of. It's out of oh, what I think is her belt. No, because Jiro comments on the heaviness of the gauntlet. And Ochako explains that, you know, with her quirk, the weight isn't an issue. That's where they have all that cable that we saw yeah, um, yeah. in a recent episode. In the manga, she calls it the Uraraka wrist, which is just yeah. fun to say. Um, <laughs> but then Mina picks up part of uh, Ochako's costume. I think it's like the belt and gotcha. the All Might okay. ornament looking thing that she got at the gift exchange falls out. And it just says Netsuke across it, um, which is just Japanese for like a miniature sculpture. Um, Mina immediately, as you said, takes it as a sign of her affection for Deku and Ochako. She, she does this crazy, like breakdance parkour and picks it up and she just swears that off. She's like, ah, it's fine. I'm just keeping it safe. Um, then we jump over to the guys, uh, locker room. They are in a lesser state or a greater state of undress. They have less clothes on, but it's okay. Um, because that's the thing that guys can do and it's fine. And uh, Kirishima is telling uh, he's kind of questioning Deku that, you know, you've appear- apparently he mastered that berserk thing, um, making a reference insane. to Black Whip. 
Yeah. And he totally says that was fast. Fans. And I was like, yes, I agree. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. think we t- I think we talked about that in a recent episode of ours. Right. Oh, you mastered the thing that the guy you were learning from told you to drop? Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it has been three months later, I guess. Whatever. It's just kind of one of those, like, I mean, it's fine that he mastered an entirely new power we just learned about three episodes ago, and we didn't even see it. Yeah. I, I think this... I misspoke earlier. This isn't three semesters later. It's the beginning of the third. It's only, like, a couple weeks after um, the end of, like, the Endeavor arc. Or the, right. It's, yeah. The covering, their winter break was only a couple weeks long. Right. It may be like a total of a month to two months since he actually, I'm going to say, received this new quirk. Sure. I think so. And he's already mastered it, which I don't, and we've not seen how he mastered it or any of that stuff. Not that we have to, I guess, but come on. It would be nice to see a little bit of training sequence or something just so we have a visual representation of, hey, look, he's figured this out. But instead, we're just told. I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah. There are times where I think that this anime would do better to show and not tell. And then there are times where I think telling is just fine. I don't really know how I feel about this. I think that not being shown is fine, but I think that the pacing, how quickly it was done, is the thing that I have the bigger issue with. Well, and I think I wouldn't have such an issue with it if, like, Endeavor hadn't specifically told him, hey, learn to walk before you run. And then here we are, the next episode, and he's mastered running. It's like, come on, man. Like, I I don't know. That just frustrates me. Well, this frustrates Bakugo, too, because he takes one of his, like, um, I like call berets. ornaments. Yeah. yeah. And throws it um, like a throwing star and it pins Deku in the head and sticks there. And then Sato, like Deku falls over and Sato's like, oh, no, there's cerebrospinal fluid shooting out, um, <laughs> yeah. which was which was great. And it's still sticking in Deku's head when they're finishing their walk to um, to Alpha. And there's this funny shot because Bareilles Bakugo is kind of like skulking in the back of this scene and they go to walk past All Might. And in the anime, he says, I am here fine and dandy with cotton candy. But I like what the manga does way better, and I think you will too. He says, "He says I am here, the symbol of sweets, instead of the symbol of peace." I liked that a lot better. <laughs> I, I do like that. That flows a little well. So he's there, and he's upset because the kids just keep walking past them, and you know, I guess they're paying him no attention because they're waiting on Aizawa, and he's like, "Well, Aizawa's not going to be here. Something actually came up." and we hard cut over to Aizawa and present Mike in a car. They're driving down the road and Mike is pretty much telling Aizawa like, Hey, you got to chill out. You know, you got to be, you got to, you got to relax, but it's very clearly like he's the one that is upset and on edge. And they're kind of talking about something that they're have been told or something that's happened, but they're not super clear on exactly what that is yet. And, they're headed to Tartarus to meet up with Sukuauchi, who needs their help. Uh, he was able to get his hands on Kurogiri, and they've kind of come up with this really crazy theory that they slowly release over the next few minutes in the show that Atkins actually guessed correctly at the end of our last episode that is Kurogiri isn't Kurogiri necessarily. Like, he is a Nomu that happens to be based off of Shirokumo's body. And it's really crazy because, you know, when I say that, like, it feels like a big leap to me. But the basically the way that it gets broken down is as they're walking through Tartarus, they meet up with Gran Torino and they're going through like this high security clearance. And and they're being told about how, you know, whenever they first started kind of looking into the Nomus, they didn't quite know what they were. They knew that they were someone that had their quirks like tinkered with. But they didn't quite understand that below the Nomu itself was a human body that is like hosting this Nomu. And now they know that the humans actually aren't alive. 
And apparently their like physiology is all messed up from, they say, from their heart to their brain. And it gets kind of crazy. I mean, some of the stuff that like they explained in this episode isn't something I had considered, I suppose. Uh, but it, we get this kind of recurring thing where President Mike is like constantly telling Aizawa, like, hey, you know, you got to chill out. But it's very clear to me that I, it's, it's President Mike trying to chill himself out, you know, make sure his friend's okay and make sure him, he himself is okay. Like, it seemed really, really bothersome to both of them, obviously. I mean, it's a big deal. Yeah, so they're they're reminding everybody what a Nomu is, that they're humans at a base level that have been basically modified, bioengineered is the term that they like to throw around, uh, to withstand multiple quirks. And they say they're not really living their messes from their brains to their hearts, they're just puppets. But these there's been a development as as of the big high end Nomu that Endeavor fought. Um, things have changed. That Nomu is categorically different. Um, and so they said, you know, this Kurogiri guy is a core member of the League of Villains. We can't get him to really talk about anything important, but we seem to have figured out that the person that is the base for this person, this Nomu before us, was Shirakumo, somebody that you guys knew from your time at UA. Uh, and so he says, you know, if if you guys can get him to talk, that would be great. And there's little flashbacks all throughout this, the first one being uh, the the flashback to Shirakumo saying to present Mike and Aizawa that they were going to start this agency together, that three of them could solve anything. Uh, and Aizawa is still being a little hesitant. This is like one of the earlier on memories, one of the first ones. Um, but, you know, Aizawa's thinking that he died during our work studies. He was caught in this collapsing building. It happened just after he said he wanted to start this agency. So he's, he's kind of going back over a lot of this history in his mind. And the anime doesn't treat it at all. It does a tiny bit. But if you want yeah. the full effect... Like, I really think if you're an anime only, this episode doesn't hit you as as hard as somebody who has read Vigilantes or is familiar Absolutely. with Shirakumo's story. So if you're wanting to get kind of the fuller context of this episode in particular, um, you need to read chapters 59 through 64 of My Hero Academia Vigilantes or listen to episodes 67 and 68 of the Almighty Podcast where we treat those chapters, um, because that context makes this episode fan freaking tastic. I totally agree. In fact, my my wife and I watched this episode together, and for the most part, she's watched all of my hero with me. Maybe one or two episodes that she missed, but even she was like watching this episode and just being like, "Who's Shirakumo? Like, what what does this guy have anything to do with anything?" And and I'm sitting there like tearing up. I'm like, "Oh my god, this is so horrible." <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like just having read Vigilantes and knowing who Shirakumo was. Is a is a huge changer for this episode because otherwise you get like all this story in a two minute flashback compared to having known it, you know. Um, but it's really interesting because they they explain to the two of them that there's something very different about Kurogiri in the sense that he just shuts down any time they start asking him questions that are relevant to the League of Villains. And like maybe he'll ramble on about a few other things, but if it's important, he pretty much just gets reset, like just totally turns off. So they're hoping that they're going to be able to use the personal connection that they had back to Shirakumo to be able to maybe awaken his personality because they have determined that the higher in no moves, like the one that Endeavor fought, do retain some level of their personality, it appears. Right. And even though the body's dead, maybe the mind can still be somewhat active, um, which is really crazy. So that's kind of where I guess I was going down a different thought 
process than you maybe. So when you said that Kurogiri was Shirakumo, I was thinking like totally aware, alive, Shirakumo is Kurogiri. He's just evil now. Right. However, I feel like this explains it way better. It's not that Shirakumo chose to become evil. It's more along the lines that the League of Villains, or maybe All for One himself, specifically pick up or pick off dead bodies from 1A, 1A because they start with good quirks to build off of, which is like crazy to think about. I mean, they even have a few flashbacks in this episode where they bring in All for One and he's talking about how they go after ua because incredible quirks have a way of making their way there and it's basically they equivalent it to scrounging for scraps at a three-star restaurant which is just nuts like i can't that there has to be so many people involved i would think in getting that body either out of the morgue or digging it up or replacing it like how have they been doing that for so long surely other nomus are based off of other people from 1a right or not 1a but ua yeah, yeah. I think the implication is definitely there, given what All for One says. Why do we keep attacking UA? Because outstanding quirks come together there. Like, that's the obvious place to go. Um, you know, present Mike is floored by this. He says it doesn't make any sense. Um, Gran Torino tries to explain that maybe they swapped his body at cremation. And he says, don't go looking for sense. All that there is is malice. And Gran Torino, again, is is impressing upon them. We're hoping that your connection will kind of shake something loose. And as I was like, listen, if if this is all about this pre-death personality still being there, I fought him at UA and we spoke and he definitely showed no reaction to me whatsoever. And Gran Torino seems to think that, or maybe this is Sue Couchy, I can't remember, but he says that it could have been an experiment to see how his altered or erased memories would impact how he carried out orders. But in the uh, in the manga, he suggests that it could have been a side effect, not a test, but a side effect that 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 personality wasn't triggered by uh, proximity or recognition um, to Aizawa. And so they're, they're really wanting to awaken these these connections. And present Mike's like, well, how, what are we supposed to do? Just take a walk down memory lane, basically. And Sukauchi is like, yeah, if you can do that, great. If not, then we're going to get his family in here and, and attempt the same. And this pisses Aizawa right off. He's like, uh, you know, this is not something that we're going to let his parents fight out about. If this is true, they don't get to know. We're, we're going to pr- we're going to protect them from that particular kind of information. And then this is where Kurogiri wakes up and begins to speak to present Mike and Aizawa, who are seated in front of him. I really like what you said there, too, about Gran Torino explaining to present Mike to try to not make sense out of something that doesn't make sense. Because it's almost a callback, or it is called back in episode 108 by the Doctor, because the Doctor uh, that we're going to talk about says something along the lines of, villain means to one who turns nonsense into action. Mm. And so it kind of ties right in really well with what Green Tor- Gran Torino is saying, like, villains do nonsensical things. Don't try to make sense out of it, otherwise you'll drive yourself crazy. You're not a villain, so you'll never be able to justify it. So it's just kind of a neat little like tie in there to something that a villain does say in episode 108. Uh, but you're right, like this does piss Aizawa off and he he triggers his quirk so that way I guess Kurogiri can't warp out because they make it sound like they've got him sedated so he can't use his quirks to get away. So Aizawa's got him pinned down, he's got his uh, his mask, his goggles off. And, I mean, he starts kind of doing exactly what you said, going down memory lane. He's retelling the story of Shirakumo and, like, all of their dreams and aspirations become these great heroes. And I believe 
Kurogiri says something along the lines of like, yeah, I hear that you expel all of your students. Because at one at some point in time, Aizawa says like, hey, we grew up, we became teachers at UA. And Kurogiri's like, yeah, I hear you expel everybody. And it's explained to us that Aizawa does expel a lot of his students, but then he immediately re-enrolls them. And he, he, and we get this conversation between him and Nezu where he asks to be able to have that ability. Like, hey, can I expel students and then re-enroll them to teach them a lesson, to teach them that their life has value, that they shouldn't just be throwing it away. I'll give them their one death, but after that, they have to value their life and be better. I want good heroes to continue living mm-hmm. and live long. And this really seems to like get, you know, uh a Shirakumo. Not Kurogiri, but Shirakumo. And and the Gran Torino and Sukwauchi are watching like some stats from a monitor and they see some wavering here and they're like, hey, something's different. And immediately they start trying to ask him questions, but Kurogiri's not giving them anything really, like not answering them at least. So Aizawa starts asking the questions like, hey, what did they do to you? You know, where did they alter your brain or where did they tinker with your brain? And do you know where Shigaraki is? And Kurogiri mentions that his only purpose now is to take care of of Shigaraki, which I think is what initially tips Aizawa off that this could be Shirakuma because he has that flashback of Shirakumo taking care of the kitten that he was so yes. readily discarding, you know? And so Present Mike, I don't think, is buying into it at the beginning until Aizawa buys into it, and then he's like, oh, crap, okay. Uh, but there's so much here. I mean, it's just such a crazy little scene. Yeah, I want to hit rewind on this, too, because I had asked folks in our Discord if they could identify what line in this very dramatic, intense conversation made me literally laugh out loud. And it was from Present Mike, because at the very beginning, Kurogiri is like, have you guys caught Shigaraki? And as I was, why are you concerned about him? And Kurogiri says that looking after him is my duty. And what Present Mike responds with is, what a crappy duty. And I just started laughing because that's redundant, crappy duty. Um, <laughs> I'm such a child, but it made me laugh out loud as soon as he said it. Um, anyway, uh, get back back to the seriousness of, of what's going on and just give you a peek into how my brain actually works. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of really cool flashback material here. Some of it is, I think, unique to the anime or the manga at this point, the My Hero proper, like when Shirakumo first offers his hand to Aizawa and Aizawa does this weird like cartoon slide away from him, um, which which was pretty great. Uh, and then there is also the the stuff that you were talking about, about him working towards getting permission to expel folks. And there's this brief scene where the kids are talking about that. Yeah. And they're like, did you see his face as, as bad as when he expelled us? And just as in this tiny scene in the anime, it looked like Roxanne from the Goofy movie was one of the characters in there. <laughs> Hair across the Pokemon was another character in there. And then there's just this person who has like asterisks for eyeballs. Um, but they're talking about how that that process of being expelled really made them grow together. And uh, Aizawa is trying to impress this upon Kurogiri slash Shirakumo. You know, this is, we're, we're very strict teachers, he explains. And we're wanting to be that way, or at least I am, because I don't want them to end up like you. But at the same time, he's kind of saying that he does want them to be like him. It's very strange. The, the wording was yeah. not super great here. Yeah, he's um, like, I don't want them to die, but I want them to be as passionate about being a hero as you were. Yeah. And then when the readings begin to jump, he he jumps up and he's like, assuming that it's true, that what I see is the dead body of Shirakumo. It's not as if doing this is ever going to bring him back. But tell me who altered you. Where did they tinker with your brain? 
when you saw me that time, did you feel nothing? And this begins to really ramp him up a lot. Um, and he eventually ends up, Shirakumo's face kind of breaks through that black mist of Kurugiri's visage, his face. Um, brainwaves go absolutely nuts. And, and he begins to say, Shoto, um, he's like, Sh or, or uh, excuse me, not Shoto, but he's, he says like, sh -sh and then every other glimpse is clearer of him it, like he becomes more and more in focus um and aizawa and present mike are really trying to encourage him and all he managed to get out is is hospital before he yeah. kind of like does this weird explosion thing and then reforms and everything is back to copacetic like normal it's really sad too because the way that they shot this scene or they drew this scene was from his perspective and I think it was the first time it switched from Aizawa and present Mike over to Kirogiri looking at the two of them so it's very like oh man we're we're being put in Shirakumo's eyes I feel like we're seeing the situation cuz it's blurry like he's trying to figure out where he's at and who these people are and and then it all kind of snaps together for him I think and man and then the Kurogiri like miss stuff blows up and takes back over and it's it's like someone pulled the power plug on a computer like he's been reset and I think there was even a conversation about how the current quirk that Kurogiri has is an amalgamation of all these other quirks and I wonder if part of that is some sort of a reset quirk I don't know how it would work but something that keeps him from being able to actually communicate past what his present duties are you know and it's it's just nuts. Um, yeah, the the Shirakumo face reveal is really well uh, like illustrated in the manga yeah. as well. Highly recommend checking that art out because it is it is gut wrenching. But th then we get this probably what I think might be my favorite scene out of all of this is present Mike looks over at Aizawa and he asks him, are your eyes OK? And Aizawa is, you know, he's crying. But he says they're just so unbearably dry. And I was like, yeah. damn it, Aizawa, right in the right in the feels for me, man. I was like, ah, God, how crushing of a line is that? Um, yeah, that was a good one. Jeez. So all they got out of this, you know, intensely emotional, so long as you knew who Shirakuma was and the history that exists between these two guys or these three. Um, all they get out of that interview is the word hospital. And so Sukauchi's like, well, it's not nothing. It gives us maybe a place to... Uh, to begin looking. And uh, Gran Torino apologizes for making them bring up painful stuff. And he says he's going to make it up to him. But, uh, you know, I don't know how you go about doing that, really. Yeah, who knows? Aizawa kind of asks, like, after all of this, what is the point of a Nomu? Like, you can tell he's, he feels really defeated about his friend being in this situation, I think. Um, it's It's crazy. And we get this weird, like, flashback to... I, I don't even know if it's a flashback as much as it may just be Gran Torino thinking about his conversation with One for All. At least I'm assuming it was a conversation between the two of them where One for All makes this kind of weird analogy about like drinking wine and enjoying the work that he's done, basically, even though he has been captured. Um, so it sounds like he's just having a good time seeing his work play out. Uh, but then we transition over to Hawks, who's getting a phone call asking for help with a thug wreaking havoc outside of a hospital, which immediately I have in my notes like this has got to be code for something because he throws the phone and is like, nope, I'm not helping with that. Sorry. And we zoom out and we see that he's actually planning something with twice and they've got like this board up and it's it's like everything you should know about the Metal Liberation Army. And it's really funny because Hawks is like, hey. I'm going to get something to drink. Do you want anything? And twice goes, yeah, black coffee, lots of sugar and cream. 
It <laughs> cracked me up. Like I just I like twice. Yeah, this episode kind of ends with Hawk saying, "Hospital, the pieces are in place," and that leaves. And then there's an ellipses, and we jump over to this pretty graphic scene, which is pretty heavily censored according to folks in the discord i'm looking at the image that we are treated in the manga and it is way more graphic than what is in the anime yeah. that is for absolutely sure did you um, see that the uh the animator actually released like the pre-drawn images on twitter yeah, i think it was i did so i mean it seems like they did edit it down quite a bit but i guess they kind of have to like this isn't a mature show it's not rated mature so they've got to make it kid friendly to some extent right yeah just just the storyboard art was pretty was you could tell that there was going to be a graphic depiction of of um blood in particular and just viscera that did not make it to the anime cut but we are treated to a doctor um who is talking about Shir uh Shigaraki and he says a human who maintains a complete ego and infinite power the masterpiece all for one and I have sought very good Tomura Shigaraki and there are all these flashing lights and it looks like he's being turned into a nomu himself or he's definitely like it's nuts things are plugged into him in all these uncomfortable places and yeah. then in the after the credits we go back in time two months and gigantomachia basically appears before the league of villains to determine whether shigaraki was is a worthy successor to offer one and you get this kind of voiceover from midoriya where he's just like just like we were boosting our powers the villains are going about doing the same as well and that will take us right into 108, because that's where we pick up with Shigaraki getting experimented on. And it's gruesome. I mean, like you said, he's all hooked up. It looks like he's being electrocuted. and He's got like tentacles coming out of his stomach and stuff like it's it's nasty looking. Uh, but that's exactly where we pick up. And then basically we get this like two months ago, sometime in October flashback. He's with the League of Villains and he's out in the middle of the forest. He's met up with Gigantomachia. And he's telling him, like, hey, well, and I guess kind of before this, we do get a quick scene with him and Kurogiri talking, where Kurogiri is like, hey, one for all, is, or all for one is gone. You have succeeded him. All you have to do is give me the word, and I'll go get your power. So I guess he says whatever magical words those are. And I, it right. makes me wonder go. if, like, yeah, like, does Kurogiri <laughs> have some sort of weird program switch in him that, that says, like, if I hear this, then do that, you know? Uh, like, what to what degree has he been reprogrammed? It's it's crazy to think about now that we know that Kurogiri is not someone making decisions. It's a no-mu that has been programmed, you know? Mm -hmm. But there they are, League of Villains. They've met up with Gigantomachia, and he tells Gigantomachia, or I'm going to refer to him as GM for a moment, he says, hey, I have been sent here to receive this power. It's all for one's power. I have succeeded him. I need you to give it to me. And Gigantomachia is like, the hell I am? Like, who are you? You're so weak. Like, you're not, you are not someone that should or deserves to take the place of all for one. Like, this... GM is so dedicated to All for One, and you can tell right off the bat. It's it's pretty intense. Yeah, uh, All for or All for One. Gigantomachia is like he's crying out to All for One. He's like, I can't take this. He's too weak, and he's literally crying. Yeah. Um, but then the doctor begins speaking through the little radio that Gigantomachia usually wears around his neck, and he's talking to Shigaraki through this thing. And he says, "It looks like he got a problem." And Shiggy's like, "Yeah, I might be mincemeat soon." And the doctor explains that Gigantomachia used to be all for one's bodyguard, and he has this insane level of stamina, uh, stamina, and that he can already handle multiple quirks without any modification. So he has not been bioengineered, is what we're told, essentially. Um, but that all for one hid him, suspecting that all for one would actually end up being defeated by All Might. And so it was mm -hmm. all for one's will and dream 
um, that it would be able to continue no matter what happened to him, so long as Gigantomachia was kind of still on the scene as a resource for whoever was coming behind him. And Dobby doesn't seem too keen on Gigantomachia. He's just like, this isn't a very nice present. I'm going to try to blow it up, basically, because the doctor's like, well, you know, he doesn't like you because he's so loyal to All for One, uh, even as an idea or a concept that he sees this gigantic gap between All for One's abilities and Shigaraki's. So you're going to have to impress him, basically. And so Dobby goes to try to attack and he makes it sound like he's going full force. Like we're we're led to kind of believe that the blue flames that he sends at Gigantomachia might be his strongest and he just runs through them with ease. Yeah, and did you notice when Gigantomachia is running after him, he almost looks like he's hardened, kind of like Kirishima? Yeah, we're told that in battle, for sure, he grows in size. And if you pay attention to kind of like the contours of his body, it looks like um, like jagged, rocky bits protrude, particularly from his back. He becomes a little bit more angular around the face as well. Um, and I can't ever tell if he's wearing clothes or if he's just free-balling it during all of this. <laughs> like if he's just some kind of like, like a rock biter from a never ending story or something. Yeah. Or like m- maybe he's like Ken down there, kind of like uh, the things from attack on Titan. They don't really have genitalia because yeah. right, I don't right. recall ever seeing him in pants. I'm looking at the, in the manga and there is nothing that suggests that he's wearing anything to cover himself up. If there is a himself there at all. True. Now I do want to bring up something before we, we go on. Uh, so with Gigantomachia, it sounds like he has a quirk, or maybe it was his original quirk, that to be able to hold multiple powers, kind of like all for one, right? So it makes me wonder if that's the case. If there are clearly other people with this quirk, somehow all for one has to figure out how these people have this quirk. I don't know if he has like a scanning quirk. It seemed like I think the villain from the second movie's name was Nine, and he had some kind of scanning quirk. That was really unexplainable, but it brings me back to something you and I have said almost from the get-go. It would not surprise me in the least if we find out that Deku has that quirk, the ability to hold other quirks, and it's just not something that shows when it manifests, which is why Deku is able to have all of the multiple quirks from all for or one for all compared to the previous owners. I mean, that kind of lines up in my mind, you know? But... What what your phrasing of that theory suggests is that everybody in well, I guess maybe you didn't you didn't quite say this, but it, it almost made me think like you were saying that everybody who has been a possessor of one for all must have had the capacity to hold all of those quirks. Elsewise, they couldn't have received it from their predecessor. But I think that the way that it was explained in the manga was that the original holder of all or of one for all that his quirk was basically like a repository quirk that it like mm-hmm. yeah. wasn't a, a repository where like quirks could be added in there and then accessed later. Right. Right. And it sounds like Gigantomachia has that ability where he can hold and access multiple quirks without any kind of mutation, right. Or any kind of work on him. I wonder if Deku's the same way, you know, I mean, when all might inherited the quirk, we know that he just powered up. He, he was quirkless too, if I remember correctly. So he gets the quirk, he doesn't necessarily have the quirk that allows him to handle other quirks. He just learns how to use this one. So he has got this beefed up body that knows how to use all this power that's been built up over the centuries that that all for one has existed, or sorry, one for all has existed. However, Deku does have a quirk, and his quirk is the ability to you know manifest, or not manifest, but handle multiple quirks, which is why he's the only one that's inherited that can activate the other ones. I don't know, just a wild theory. 
I wonder if Gigantomachy is the thing that allows him to hold more quirks is just what um, what we were told about him just having an insane amount of stamina. Like Maybe. Because they've, they've said multiple times in the series that it is taxing on your stamina to utilize your quirk. So if you have a smaller pool, then one quirk might be enough to exhaust it relatively quickly, even with practice. But if you have a seemingly endless pool of stamina, then maybe that means that you could hold and therefore use more quirks. Maybe it's that's kind of how like it works. A, kind of like Deadpool from Marvel, how like his his regenerative factor is so intense and so crazy that it's constantly healing his cancer that's killing him off. It could be like that, where like, you know, Gigantomachia has so much stamina that he can handle multiple quirks without losing that life energy, basically. Yeah, but I, I wonder don't know if, that, if that's not the explanation there. But we could we, we we know so little about him, and we could potentially learn a lot. So I'm I'm willing to withhold final final thoughts on him so far. Totally fair, totally fair. So after Gigantomachia starts running towards Dobby, just busting through his flames, we hear All for One's voice come through over the radio, and it's him saying Maki twice, almost like a pet name. And this calms down Gigantomachia. And the doctor is able to, like, activate a quirk that All for One used at Camino, and where we see this, like, black sludge come out of everybody's mouths, and they get transported to this Nomu factory where there's this, like, I mean, he looks like uh, the, the villain from Sonic. What's his name? Yeah, Ed, Dr. Dr. Robotnik Ed, or yeah. Dr. Eggman. Dr. Eggman, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, he's just sitting at the end of this hallway that's lined with these, what I believe he calls, like, Ed, oh, I've got High-end Nomu. High-end Super Nomus. Yeah. In the manga, it's interesting because in the anime, it seems like they're able to see the Doctor very clearly. The Doctor isn't shying away from being seen. But in the manga, he goes out of his way to basically remain in the shadows where they aren't allowed to see his face, basically. And he like scurries away when they try to get closer to see what he looks like. Now, he's previously had encounters or meetings with uh, Shigaraki, but um, you still have Twice and Toga and Mr. Compress and Spinner are all there. um, And none of those has the doctor met. Um, And there's this really interesting conversation. So. They teleport in. Dobby remarks that the Nomu that they're surrounded by are, um, they're different somehow. Doctor confirms that they're all high ends. This is set before the fight with Endeavor in the high end Nomu. I think you can even see that particular high end Nomu in one of the tubes. It oh, looks I didn't like, pick up on that. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm pretty sure in the manga that the first one on the right on this little like two page spread is that um, that particular Nomu. And Shigaraki says that he's been meaning to get the doctor to replicate something for him. I, I'm i pretty sure that that means the bullets. In fact, I, now that I'm thinking about it, I think that the manga even goes so far as to clarify that that's what they're talking about. The quirk erasing bullets is what the doctor or is what Shigaraki wants the doctor to uh, replicate for him. But it okay. doesn't get treated very well at all in the anime. It's just like, well. What did he want replicated? Yeah, I had <laughs> that in my just notes. just kind of left to like, fill that in on our own. Yeah, I didn't. I guess that makes sense, but I didn't even think of that as being something. I figured that would be something new that we get down the line. Um, but the doctor kind of explains to the League of Villains here that like he's not really been giving them the full power of the Nomus and the power of All for One because he needs to know that they're very serious and that they're loyal to the cause, I guess you could say. And he says, you know, Shigaraki, you're like 20-something years old. You've never accomplished anything. You're here now. What are you going to show me to prove to me that you're worth all this? Yeah, and he says this really interesting thing, too. Right before he begins really talking with Shigaraki, he says, 
um, how's your father and the rest? Then the rest, and yeah. Well, and then we're, we were treated kind of after uh, what you were tr- what you were uh, retreading as part of their conversation. We're treated to a flashback where um, All for One finds this abandoned, orphaned Shigaraki, and he's like, nobody would help you? You know, Tenko Shimura, you must have run looking for a helping hand, uh, thinking that a hero would sooner or later be there. He says, that's what they all think, um, you know, as, as they pretended not to see you. And he's talking about everybody that's just walking by him. He's talking about the bystander effect, which is this terrible psychological phenomenon that everybody is guilty of at some point where you just project responsibility onto everybody but you. So the way that this was illustrated in famous videos is like somebody will lie down in public in a like a, a very busy place, like a, a tram station or whatever, and act like they're in physical agony. And you'll see tens and tens and tens of people just walk by, give this person all the room because everybody that does that is thinking somebody behind me, somebody else is going to stop and help. But if everybody thinks that, nobody does stop and help. And so that's what All for One is explaining to Shigaraki. You know, you thought that, or they were all thinking that sooner or later, Hero will show up so they didn't have to be the one that intervened in your life. But he says, but I am here. And in the manga, he uses those exact words. In the anime, he says, I'm here for you. But I like the manga interpretation better because of its parallelism with All Might's usual. That's a nice Um, foil. Yeah. In the manga, he says, I am here. I love that. Yeah, and it's crazy because he basically adopts Shigaraki, takes him in, and we see like a scene where he's in this really kind of smaller, confined quarters. I even think All for One says, like, hey, sorry, they're kind of small, but Shigaraki's wearing gloves at this point. So All for One is aware that he's got this very decimating power. And in walks the doctor who is pushing this cart. It's just full of hands. And All for One starts explaining to him, like, you know, I want to give you as much of your family back as I can. This is all that's left. And he says, you know, you may not remember too much, but but you killed your family. And and it's all kind of like breaking Shigaraki's brain. Like, it's coming back in shards. And we, we kind of switch back over to Shigaraki, who even says, like, everything in my mind feels like shards of memories and whenever i put on all of these hands i feel calm i feel at ease when i don't have them my brain is basically exploding with anger and nothing seems to silence it and then he goes on to say even if i am able to bring down heroism even if i'm able to rule from the shadows i will never get any relief and I am fairly certain that I hate everything that breathes, and therefore I should just bring it all down. I want to destroy everything. And I think he says, you know, at the end of the day, at least we'll have a pretty sunset. And so he, he, he says, I want to show you everything from heaven to hell, is what he tells the doctor, which is a pretty powerful statement to him. But the doctor's like, wow, that's a child's pipe dream, but hell, let's try it. Let's see what you can do. Yeah, man, in the manga, the the fragments, I think is how he refers to it. These fractured images, I think, are depicted visually, of course, and they're so well done. Just the way the style um, that Horikoshi uses to to show all this is pretty cool. So he's he had a corgi. I don't see any paws on the tray. We never see like a paw stuck on his ear or anything oh, like that. How so messed up would that be? <laughs> yeah, it would be weird. What's up with that weird dog paw or all, you know, four dog paws? Um, but he had a little corgi. 
uh, that presumably also ended up dead. There's a shot where there's a young girl, presumably a sister, um, a very close up eye to like uh, a, a, an adult male, presumably his dad. And, and everything is just super sketchy. It's just heavy lines showing like almost this veil over top of it. Like not only are they fragmented images, but they're kind of blurry, almost like you're watching it through static on an old television set mm -hmm. kind of. And this makes them vomit. And they, they depict this in the anime and in the manga. Um, and so he goes on to talk about how having those hands brings him this weird kind of comfort, um, even though it's not comfort in the way that you or I might think about comfort, right? Because it has this this con to it as well. Yeah. So what kind of things bring you comfort just in general? Like, what do you run to if you're feeling unsettled that helps settle you down? And hopefully it's not severed hands of family members. Oh, man, this isn't I, the place to say it if it is, Adam. Just yeah, I've got some bad news. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know what's funny is whenever you asked me this earlier or thought about this segment idea, the first thought that came to my head was laying on the floor. I don't know what it is, but like if, if I get super stressed out or something, I often get really hot. And so laying down on the cold floor always like just brings my mind down a little bit. Either that or chewing gum. I don't know what it yes. is about chewing gum, but like a good stick of minty gum like always helps clear my mind for some reason. Yes, gum is one of mine too. You will very rarely, if ever, catch me without gum in my mouth or gum readily at hand. Yeah, it is same just here. something that um, is a is an easy and very subtle distraction for my mind. It gives me something to do and to focus on besides whatever might be stressing me out is just that that rep that repetitive chewing motion, masticating, mm -hmm. if you will, um, is something that really helps calm me down. I also have some dogs at home that, you know, if I have a particularly bad day, just sitting on the floor and, you know, holding them is very calming for me. Uh, I think that's that might be one of the primary, um, you know, roles that they serve in my life, to be honest. You know, it's just something there that is something I can hold and be comforted by that I don't feel any need to perform in front of or to or towards, if that makes sense. Yeah, they're going to love you no matter what. Yeah, so long as I shake the treat bag, they're good. Um, so those two things, I think, were the things that just came screaming to my mind were gum and just a little little pet time with with the doggos that that totally. helps me out a lot. Yeah, the third in my mind actually was going to I was going to say my my uh it's not my husky but my lab has like the softest ears in the world. So when I get really stressed out, I'll just pet his ears because it's so soft it just chills me out. <laughs> my wife loves to make fun of me and say that I eat gum, I don't chew it because I'll go through like seven or eight pieces a day. Yeah, I go through I I you know, put one in my mouth when I leave for the office in the morning, take that one out when I'm on my way to lunch, put another one in after lunch, spit that out when I'm on way, my way to the house, eat dinner, put another one in. And sometimes I'll swap out the piece depending on levels of stress or, or what kind of environment I may be moving into. Um, so yeah, I'm, I go through so much gum and I'm very particular yeah. about the kind of gum. It does have to be mint. Um, mint presumably helps settle your stomach as well. Um, so I, I do try to go for a peppermint kind of gum. I really like the Mentos gum a lot right now. It's my new, my new jam. So during this time is when the doctor mentions what I mentioned earlier about episode 107 and, and the villains, uh, taking nonsense and turning it into action. And I think that's such a cool way of describing a villain. I've, I've don't want to say I've not heard that before because I'm sure that there have been other series that have said it that way. But like my first thought was the Joker from Batman, like total nonsense, but he 
he does it anyways. He turns that nonsense into an actionable item and just makes it real. And I think this really kind of worries at least Toga because Toga's like, hey, are you going to kill everything I love too? And it's funny because Shigaraki's like, nah, I mean, there's always room for comrades' wishes, so you just live as you see fit. But I don't, I don't think that's true. Like, I think he was lying to Toga. I think he's using these people to, to get to his end because ultimately if he wants to destroy everything that's breathing, that's going to include Toga and anything she wants alive as well. I don't think he really cares about the League of Villains. They're a means to an end to him. I... I had an issue with that, too, but not for the same reason. I think that, you know, clearly, I think in later on in this episode, we hear Toga say, these these are the people that I really like. I really like Stain. I really like Deku. I really like Ochako. Some of those people are going to be in direct conflict with Shigaraki, and Shigaraki's desires, or or the people through which he has to go in order to obtain his desires trump what Toga wants. Sure. So if Toga wants Midoriya and Midoriya squares up against Shigaraki, Shigaraki's like, sorry, Toga, you're out of luck. This guy's got to die. Yeah. Um, but if it were something that were more trivial, then I think Shigaraki would be just be like, yeah, that's fine. It's, it's, it's a non-essential. You know, you can have whatever it is that you want so long as it is not a barrier or an obstacle between me and what I want. Absolutely. And the doctor clarifies that he intended to work with them no matter what from the get-go, but he can't give them all this power yet. They're simply too weak. And he says that the only way I can give you all this power is if you can get Gigantomachia to submit to you. Then I'll give you everything. So he zaps uh, Shigaraki back to Gigantomachia, but Dobby, before they do this, he Dobby's like, I don't really want to help you with this. Um, and it's funny because Toga's like, it's just because he's not weak to fire, isn't it? And Tom's yeah. like, no, that's not it at all. You know, he says he, he has something he wants to focus on. He, he's found somebody that he believes he can turn into an ally for them. I'm assuming it's Hawks. I think that that fits in the timeline. Because this would have been before the Endeavor attack when he first starts communicating with Hawks, I would think. Correct. Um, so the doctor gives everybody a communicator and then zaps them out. And we get this kind of another quick fast forward. It's now two months later. It's in December. Oh, wait, we skipped over the return of the video game lingo as well. Um, Shigaraki, remember early on, he was all about video game language. Yeah, yeah. In this scene, he says, that was a long tutorial. Oh, yeah, um, he did say that, didn't he? Yep, the return of the video game lingo, the long, the long missed, much missed video game lingo of Shigaraki. You know, what's kind of crazy is like, at the end of this episode, I actually really like Shigaraki. I was like, he's kind of a cool character now. Like, now that I know a little bit more about him, you know what I mean? Beforehand, he just kind of seemed like this uh, obscure A petulant child. That's what All Might and Present Might called him. And it's really cool to, uh, I I think that this is a strange thing, but the the Nomu that the doctor uses to teleport people, it has a name, it's called Johnny, and it Uh looks like a damn platypus. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Which I thought was super strange. It's like steampunk platypi um, sitting in his lap, but he just aims it? I I don't know. I don't fully understand the mechanics of that. It almost looks like uh, spark plugs, like all in its brain, and he's like reassembling them to get the cork to activate. But what's really disturbing to me about that little creature was the fact that it was so little. Like, now that we know that the Nomus are based off dead bodies, that's got to be a kid in his lap, right? Or, or this is like the second animal that is confirmed to have had a quirk? Because what, didn't Nezu have a quirk initially? Nezu yeah, is a quirked so. animal? I guess so, yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe it's like Nezu's cousin or something. Maybe this, I don't know how they would have found a black vomit teleportation inducing 
platypi in the <laughs> wild, but it just seems like what they did. I hope it's not a child, but that possibility is definitely there. I, I like would, the platypus yeah. theory myself, but the child thing is on the table. I would not, yeah, that, I wouldn't rule that out at all. The doctor totally seems like he's willing to do whatever it takes. Uh, but that little creature was kind of freaky to me. Uh, so we, we skip over two months. It's now December, and Shigaraki has been fighting Gigantomachia literally for like two months straight, it sounds like. Basically, Gigantomachia fights them for 48 hours and then sleeps for three hours. And when he wakes up, he finds Shigaraki, no matter where he's at or where he's hiding. And while they're fighting him, he gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So there, it's pretty nuts because Shigaraki is getting very minimal sleep. And currently, when we're being explained this... I believe it's Mr. Compress that's talking about it. And I think it's they, Spinner. Is it Spinner that's talking? Okay. So Spinner so. Spinner is is narrating this, but Mr. Compress is there with twice, and they're both absolutely like exhausted looking. And it's explained that effectively the two of them are switching off in shifts with Toga and Spinner to be able to help Shigaraki out with this fight. So they're taking these shifts back and forth to be able to rest up, but Shigaraki's only getting two or three hours of sleep every two days. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, Shiggy is in this for the long haul, and they are, we catch up to the League of Villains, they're all beat the hell up. Um, Shigaraki is explaining that Gigantomachia's movements are really slow, and he feels like he's a lot closer to bringing him down eventually. Um, and Spinner says that he has the look of a boy chasing his dreams in his eyes, which I felt like was a callback to the same thing that the doctor basically said, that you're just this boy chasing a dream, um, which was a cool kind of a tie back. But then Twice's cell phone rings, and it sounds like a fart, which just brought me an insane amount of joy. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was or not, but I had my notes to ask if you thought it was also a fart. Oh, yes. In the manga, it's depicted where he's like bent over, and it has brap coming out of his butt area. <laughs> and they awesome. even like ask, where in the world did you even pull that phone out of? Um, which was a little, a little suggestive. It would have um, been awesome if it had been Twice saying, I am here. No, I'm not. I am here. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be great, too. I like that better than the fart, actually. Um, but it's, it's Giren. It's Giren's name that's on Twice's phone. And there's this little bit of back and forth because there's discussion about how Garen hasn't been answering his phone. And Mr. Compress's mechanical arm that Garen hooked him up with um, is busted. And so he's wanting to know if it's insured, which I thought was a very mundane but funny thing to ask. And um, he picks it up and he's just like, you know, what's the deal? Why haven't you been answering my phone calls or returning them? And a modified voice speaks back and it's not Garen. Well, and um, what, what and, I love about this, too, is it's twice... I guess his his personality fighting in because he actually tells Mr. Compress like ah Garen's a great guy and then he answers and goes you suck for never returning our phone calls right right <laughs> and I thought that was great so this modified voice says well that would be our fault that he's not answering these phone calls you must be Jin Bubagawara or twice and they're like this is somebody using a voice changer um and then he the person on the other end of the phone line suggests that they turn into the news. And what the news is depicting is that there has been another finger found and they start rattling off all these locations um, outside of the Shie Saikai compound, uh, Hosu City, the expressway, uh, Ground Zero at Kamino, and now at Fukuoka. Um, and these are all places that the League of Villains have, have been uh, seen. In the manga, they actually show these severed fingers, which I think... I wish the anime had done because it makes some sense of something a little later on that I'm going to poke fun at. Um, but they they piece together that these fingers are showing up where the League of Villains have been. And so the person on the other side of the phone line introduces himself as Redestro of the Metal Liberation Army, to which Shigura uh, Shigaraki 
cheekily responds, first the Yakuza and now a Liberation Army. Is there some sort of retro boom? Yeah, and he says something about it being a fad. And Redestro just responds with, well, we started the fad. Like, okay, old man. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know how, how, like, I guess it's supposed to sound cool, but I definitely didn't think it was all that great. Uh, But he explains that Giren is actually alive, uh, but we see him in the background. He's tied up. He's beat up. He has been tortured. And he explains that, you know, the Meta Liberation Army exists basically to free metahumans to be able to use their abilities 100%. And Shigaraki's like, look, I mean, I'm totally willing to listen to your speech, but I'm stupid busy right now, so how about we do a rain check? Like, I'll listen. I just don't have time for you. Like, there's this... He doesn't even tell them, but I can only imagine. He's like, guys, we got this massive monster that's about to wake up and come yeah. kick my ass again. Like, do we really do, have time for this phone call? <laughs> I like in the in the manga, it's even funnier because um, after Redestro says, oh, he's right here, you know, um, Shigaraki's just like, well, uh, you know, we're we're... We've got other things going on. Can you call back later, basically? But in the manga, he says, well, how about you liberate our broker? Which I thought was pretty funny. (laughs) That is funny. I like that a lot. Uh, But when he asks Shigaraki, or when Shigaraki asks him to release Giren, he does say, like, not going to do it. Uh, You know, he's really, really good at what he does. He's very secretive. He kept everything very close to him. Even when we were cutting off his fingers, he did not release any of his information. In fact, he deleted all of his contacts, but we were able to restore the data, which is how we were able to get a hold of you guys. And he explains that they have made a lot of preparations, and they are pretty much ready to pull the trigger. And they've got 116,000 people ready to attack. They know where the League of Villains are, and they, they explain that they can see them. Like, they say the location that they're at, and that they can see them via this satellite. And he's like, look, you know, I'll just go ahead and call the top heroes right now and send them after you guys, especially if you don't cooperate. Like, it's going to be that simple. I will always know where you're at now. And Redestro says that the League of Villains have just become too well-known, and that if anything is going to rise back up, it must be a Destro-lid army. I think that's how he pronounces it, or how he says it. Um, And he says, look, I can crush you and absorb you, basically, or you can let the heroes crush you. It's totally up to you. Yeah, and this is where in the manga they show these fingers that had been severed and placed at these five locations, and there's a panel where they show that these fingers are arranged very intentionally, like the four fingers pointed straight up and the thumb mm-hmm. is cocked uh, almost as if the palm would be facing straight up. And they arrange them so that it makes the symbol of the L, which is what Redestro puts on his forehead, which has always been the sign for a loser, right? That has that's, only ever been that. That's what I thought, too. <laughs> so in the anime, they have this quick scene where it like flashes this logo of the fingers kind of over Redestro's hand as he's got it up to his face. But I was like, what kind of dumb symbol is that for a cool sounding army? Yeah. So in, when I saw it in the anime, it looked kind of like a weird kanji. And so I thought, is that what the L is? It's the it's this weird way of like you know how people can spell like blood with their fingers yeah, you know with the gang yeah. sign or whatever i was like is that what that is and no it, the that little weird red light thing that they did to that they superimposed over him calling himself a loser basically was the the anime's way of less graphically depicting the severed fingers from the manga which was a silly way to do it like just show us some fingers <laughs> right right but yeah destro says there's no need for bargaining we'll fight soon just come to Dika city within the hour, and if you do, I'll release Giren, and uh, you'll either fight us and go under, or you'll get caught by the heroes or go under. It's up to you. 
You know, and just to like further expand upon the whole finger thing, if Giren's quirk was that he could regrow limbs, they wouldn't have a problem showing fingers. Otherwise, they would never show Mineta pulling balls off his head. Yeah, that could be true. Or they wouldn't have seen, what's the name of the uh, lizardy? You know, her just able to dismember herself oh, into yeah. a bunch of pieces. Absolutely. Yeah. It's only, they only don't show it because it's permanent. That's, that's funny. Uh, yeah, so interesting. What's really interesting about this, the way this phone call ends, whenever it's kind of relayed back to Twice, Twice is immediately saying, hey, we got to go save this guy, which I thought was interesting because it's kind of one of the first times we don't hear him arguing about anything. There was no, hey, let's go save him. No, let him rot. It was just, we have to go save him. And Twice is kind of losing his mind because he, he even goes on to talk about like how Giran's taking care of him. He's been really good to him and, and he's an outcast. And Giran took him in even though he was an outcast and spinner's like i don't know should we really save that guy like he wore a pretty nasty looking scarf bad taste in in uh, (laughs) clothing you know and toga thinks it's a trap so she doesn't even want to bother with it compress wants everyone to chill out though mr compress is just like guys we can't just go in there half cocked with no plan uh but while twice is figure uh freaking out shigaraki pulls his mask off which immediately silences twice he like crouches down into the fetal position and is talking about coming unhinged and splitting apart and Shigaraki talks to the doctor and he's like hey so what do you think about this do you know anything about this and and the doctor's like I don't know maybe I mean it would be suck or it would really suck if they weren't bluffing and Shigaraki's like okay well we're gonna go ahead and charge in we're gonna do this and and I think the League of Villains are just like, come on, have you lost your mind? What's happening here? Like is has Gigantomachia just worn you down too much? But Shigaraki's got a good plan. He explains that he's going to have the Doctor warp him to this area, possibly even warp Gigantomachia. I don't, I don't know if the Doctor can do that. I would assume so. And no, no, no. He's basically said warp, warp them and Dobby to Daika City, right. and then Gigantomachia will basically find, find them, them there, as he yeah. has been doing consistently, is just locating them. So he's going to bring Gigantomachia to the fight and use this 110,000. He, he says 110,000. Uh, Redestro says 116,000. I don't know why there was a difference there. But it's just a, that's just a, it's just an estimation, you know, basically. He's just in the ballpark in it. Yeah. But he says he's going to take these, these people, use them against Gigantomachia, and maybe after that fight, he'll at least be weakened enough that he can take them down. So, and then he puts twice masks back on and twice is all happy again. Yeah, and the doctor asks, well, what if it is a bluff and he doesn't have all these people there? And Shigaraki's just like, well, then there will just be a dead idiot and I'm going to crush all of them. <laughs> yeah. um, and we know that um, we, we saw a glimpse of Daika City lying in absolute ruins several episodes ago. And we even commented back then, I think, that it didn't seem like it was something that Shigaraki had done on his own because it didn't seem to match his quirks, the, the way that his quirk works or has been depicted in the past. And so now we know that he does go to Daika City. Presumably Gigantomachia is there. There's going to be a big fight. The after credit scene for this episode um, is explains that Redestro has been planning to destroy the League of Villains and construct a new society with 110,000. It says he kicks off with a gruesome party. Evil will stand against evil, and it's called Revival Party. Um, and so I... I struggle in media when we kind of already know in advance how something's going to end. So we've seen the end 
of whatever we're about to see at go down at Daika City. We saw Shigaraki standing in the rubble, laughing hysterically. He doesn't do that as a loser. So how do you feel about knowing in advance how a plot is going to end up in media, generally speaking? Uh, I, it's difficult for me because sometimes it does it really well. And sometimes the end doesn't necessarily matter as much as the story on how they got there. So right now we're in a situation where we know that Dyka City is getting brought down, but we don't know how it's going to happen. So I kind of want to say, like, on this particular instance, I want to hold off on making my judgment until I see the episode. Because if the episode's lame, I'm going to be like, well, that was a whole big letdown. I would rather have seen it lead up so that way there's suspense and whether or not he succeeds or fails is a big deal. But knowing he succeeds going into it, I'm expecting a big, fun story or it's going to kind of feel womp womp. You know what I mean? Yeah, I vacillate back and forth on how um, different mediums handle this. So, for instance, like one of my friends, Jason, has this story where he went in to see the Titanic at the movie theater. And he said out loud, I heard the ship sinks and people got real pissed at him. Like, (laughs) like, how in the world do you not know this? But knowing that the ship sinks, you know that that's. You know that that's how it's going to end, but they do a lot with the middle bits, right? Sure. Similarly, kind of with, um, what was the Star Wars movie that was, um, uh, you know, the one where they were going to go steal the plans for the Death Star? Oh, you know uh, what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Rogue One. Rogue One, yeah. Which is an Going into that, movie. I was just like, huh? Which is an incredible movie. See, I am lukewarm on it at best because really? i was just like we we know they get the plans and we never see anybody that's in this movie ever again they all die so don't get too attached like that was my mindset going into that movie and there were cool scenes but i was just like eh. but we like we've seen so much that comes after this we know how this is going to play out and so that frustrates me sometimes too i get that. so see, i that- i think when it comes to this in particular i like my hero filling in the middle bits because it means it's a giant villain on villain fight and that is going to be cool as crap yeah it is going to be really cool too from the perspective of like we don't have to worry about paying so much attention and taking notes leading up to it that the the end point matters we already know he wins so we just get to sit back and watch a cool fight but i will argue that the new rogue one movie is the best out of the new star wars movies even if it doesn't matter because we know what was going to happen i still think that movie is better than any of the other ones <laughs> that'll be a discussion we have to have off <laughs> off uh, off mic um, but I, I do, I, I like too that right now in the anime, uh, it is, it is not all about 1A. I like, it's kind of nice to get this breath of villain action, oh, uh, so interjected cool. in the middle of this. Yeah. Um, so I, I like that too. It's just a shift in perspective and focus and that, that is refreshing to this show. Um, so I appreciate that. I, I'm, I am excited for the next few episodes just because of that, even if I know how the ending is going to work, because it is different and a little bit of different in the midst of something that we're invested in is always good. It was a, I think that it was an interesting experiment at the time where it was probably being written. Um, but I think that it's seen massive success because like we mentioned earlier, people in our discord say that this is some of the best stuff that my hero has even to date. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I mean, I think I mentioned earlier, like, I see Shigaraki in a different light now. Not that I'm, like, in love with the character or anything, but I want to know more about him. Whereas last episode, I could care less, or I couldn't care less. It was just Shigaraki is this uh, villain. He's almost like a MacGuffin for the show, but now I don't feel that way. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing more about him and maybe, hopefully, some of the other League of Villain members as well. Like, I'd like to know more about their backstories. 
Yeah, there's a lot to look forward to. There usually is in My Hero. Not always, but right now there absolutely is. Absolutely. Well, I think that will bring us to a close for this week's episode, but we hope that you enjoyed it. Please leave an iTunes review if you did. If you haven't already, we would really appreciate it. Uh, that really helps boost the show and get us get us out there into more people's ears. You know, we want more folks. We want more friends in the Discord hanging out, talking to My Hero or any other anime with us. Uh, we've got a lot more coming on the horizon. I mean, we've got Kyo Cinema coming out soon, which is now officially a thing. If you go to backpationetwork.com, you can see a show page for it. I cannot wait to get started with that. Uh, and if you're interested, we've got live Twitch streams, uh, at least every Sunday night and Wednesday night, we're doing Mass Effect. So come hang out with us. We'd love to, to, to meet our listeners. Yeah, we began this podcast, our recording, um, right before we clicked record. I was talking about the uh, curse of the blood rubies and adam had a moment of panic where he was like are we recording that tonight or are we oh, yeah. doing my hero <laughs> yeah, yeah truly because i'm like oh my gosh I, I so i do mass effect on sunday nights now uh monday nights are typically the only night i don't have anything going on tuesdays wednesdays i've got podcasts i record or work on so it's uh it's crazy how much we do on the back patio but it's a lot of fun and and the coolest part is how many people i get to meet every day and hang out with every day in the discord just because of the network. It's it's so much fun. It is super fun. So we will be back in two weeks with an episode of the Almighty Podcast. But a week from this episode, episode 85, Hitting Your Ears, will be the debut episode of our all-new project, Kyo Cinema. So you will be getting something from us every week for a while if you're a patron. Because again, uh, Kyo Cinema's first three episodes, full episodes, are going to be on the Almighty Podcast feed. And if you're digging that, you throw a buck at uh, the Back Patio's Patreon, and then you can listen to the dulcet tones of Adam and myself every single week for the foreseeable future. Absolutely. I cannot wait. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you soon. See you guys. Almighty Podcast is brought to you by the Back Patio Network. You can follow us on Twitter at AlmightyPod or follow at BackPatioNet for all network news. If you enjoyed what you heard, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash BackPatioNetwork. You can help support the network, get access to early episodes, and lots of other great stuff. If you want to get to know us, come hang out in our Discord channel. We have lots of fun and would love to have you in there. My name is Adam, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheRealSimso, S-I-M-S-O. 